I can fall asleep just about anywhere. And if you don't believe me, ask my wife. I have fallen, I'm not even kidding, I have fallen asleep at Christmas time in the mall, sitting on a bench with bags in my hand. Twice. I mean, it's this uncanny ability that I have. Well, anyway, uh, this past Sunday night, like a week ago today, I, I just couldn't fall asleep. I was still kind of wired from the summer bash. You guys have a good time at the summer bash? Yeah. Great time. And uh, I just, I, I couldn't fall asleep. And so Carrie was up as well. And so we were watching some TV and it's about 1230 a.m., which is like way past my bedtime, uh, you know, because I'm like 70 or something, apparently. Uh, but anyway, I, I couldn't fall asleep, which, like I said, is very unlike me. And uh, so we're watching some stuff that because we pretty much TiVo everything and then watch it whenever we get a chance. And so um, all of a sudden we start smelling smoke in our house. In fact, we start smelling smoke and there's actually smoke coming through our all of the AC vents uh, in our house. I mean, it's like, you know, a dragon has taken over the AC and it's like the smoke is coming through. Our house is starting to fill up a little bit with smoke and and so we can we can smell it so we're like you know what are we supposed to do so i see it coming through the ac vents so i there's a breaker on uh our ac unit i turn it off i go out to the garage i turn off the breaker then i open i don't know if this was like the smartest thing to do but i just like got a, a wrench and i opened up the air conditioner to see if there was a fire inside and uh it turns out there was the the motor had started burning out and that's what was causing all of the smoke to come through our house and we're thinking like, you know, I mean, my, my house is, you know, it's like a lot of smoke. Uh, in, I mean, it's like you'd think that Carrie and I were like chain smokers or something. Uh, there's so much smoke in our house. Well, so we're like, well, we can't stay here, you know, but so we, I go in the garage, I get a suitcase, we pack a bag. This whole time, by the way, my daughter's asleep. We get my daughter totally asleep, put her in the car seat, strap her in, still totally asleep. We drive a few blocks to a hotel that's right around the corner. We, we check in, we get her out of the car, still asleep, through a fairly loud lobby for 1 a.m., uh, still asleep, put her in bed in between Carrie and I, totally asleep. Like, she didn't even get it. Like, she went to sleep in her crib, she woke up in a hotel room, and then I wake up, you know, because I didn't feel falling asleep till like 3 o'clock um, after that, all that excitement. I wake up like, you know, four hours later to her, like smacking me on the top of the head saying, Bobby, wake up. It's morning time. And I'm like, I really wish it wasn't morning time. And uh, but, but here, here's why I tell you the story <clears throat> is that we all have difficulties, problems, challenges, trials, tribulation, whatever you want to call it. It all comes into our lives. And, and, and the thing is this, our response to these things is really what frames the circumstance for us. Now, here's what I mean. Um, there's really only two options that you have in a situation like this. You can either say, God, I'm a Christian. How could you possibly allow this to happen to me? I mean, how, how is that even possible? How could you possibly allow that? Or there's another response. There's a response that says, God, thank you for allowing me to be awake when I normally wouldn't be awake. Because if we were asleep when this happened and we were breathing in all of that smoke, who knows what could have happened to us? You see, the point is, is that there's always a different way to look at a problem. 
We can look at it on the surface and we can allow it to defeat us. Or what we can do is that we can actually look at that problem, go beneath the surface and actually find out that maybe there's something that God is seeking to do in your life and in mine because and through the problem. In fact, the first verse in the outline that we gave you, if you have this, uh, this, the message notes, it says this in James chapter one. Some of you know this verse. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, trials come into your life, come into mine for the purpose of strengthening our faith. You see, trials are to your spiritual life the same thing that weights are to your muscles. The way that you grow and build muscle is through applying and adding weight that, that, that you lift. In the same way, our spiritual life grows. We develop maturity in our relationship with God through the trials and the difficulties that we experience in life. And as we work through them, we find our spiritual muscles growing even stronger than they had previously. Now, why do I tell you all of this? I tell you all of this because the section that we're in in the book of Revelation, it's going to get ugly. I mean, it's going to get bad. And, and the thing is, is that we, we have to have that under, this understanding first, because as we're going to watch God pouring out his wrath on planet Earth, the, the first thing that we might think is, well, God doesn't really like these people at all. But instead, what we need to understand is that's not the case at all. God's point in these trials and, and in this, this great tribulation is for people to experience this to now say, you know what, I need to change, I need to turn, I need to change my heart and turn it towards God. But the problem is this, is that as we go through these different judgments, the, these people don't turn their hearts towards God. Instead, their hearts just grow continually hard. In fact, in Revelation chapter 6, which Pastor John taught a couple weeks ago, Here's what it says. It says, then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves and among the rocks and of the mountains. And they called on the mountains and on the rocks, saying, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the, the great day of his wrath has come and who can stand? Now, they knew the judgment was coming from God. And here's the thing. The one thing that would have changed it for them was for them to actually turn from their current ways, turn to God, repent and change. But yet they decided not to. Instead, they're calling out to the rocks to fall on them instead of turning towards God. So what I want to do this morning is that even though we're not going, if you're a Christian, you're not going to experience this capital T, great tribulation. We do experience the lowercase t, tribulation. Now, this is really, really important for us to understand because it's not just, you know, kind of like terminology or whatever. It's not like last night um, I was giving my daughter a bath, which is our normal practice. And um, one of the things after I wash her hair is that I, I, I brush her hair. We have this little comb. And I, I, I brush her hair. And so last night she decided she didn't want it. She says, Poppy, no brushing hair. And I said, well, Mia, those are the rules. You have to brush your hair. And she says, no, no brushing hair. And I said, you know what? Fine. I will not brush your hair, but I am going to comb your hair. And she says, okay. And then I start combing her hair. Same comb, same process. And she says, Poppy, thank you. I don't, 
Luckily, she doesn't know that the two things are the same. But the thing is this. Great tribulation and tribulation are not the same thing. The great tribulation comes from God to the inhabitants of the earth. Regular tribulation that everyone experiences. Jesus said in, Matthew, in John chapter 16, He said, in this world you will have tribulation. That, speak, that originates from the enemy, from Satan, to the life of believers. And so there are two very, very different things. What we're talking about here is great, the great tribulation, but it doesn't mean that we can't still grow and learn some principles on how to deal with tribulation when it comes into your life and in mine. And in fact, I believe that there's three qualities that we need to learn if we're going to get through and grow in the midst of trials when things get ugly. So we're going to start. Grab your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, what's the first thing that we need to know? We're experiencing a difficulty, a trial. How do we learn from it, grow from it when things get ugly? Number one is that I need to be silent before God. Silent before God. Now, now what do I mean? Um, silence is like such a weird thing, right? Because in our culture, si- we abhor silence. In fact, that's why there's nowhere that you can go where it's actually silent, right? You came in here and you know what you found? You came from your car, which you probably had music, talking, something going on. Then you got out of your car and you came into the breezeway here. There was We had music playing. You went into the children's ministry. Maybe there's music playing. You come in here. There's music playing everywhere. There's music, because if you walk into a room and it's totally silent, your first thought is something's wrong. Right. It's just like this weird thing. That's why the weirdest place on the planet is an elevator. Right. What is the deal with an elevator? In fact, when my Carrie and I were out of town a couple weeks ago, we're on this elevator and the Carrie and I and Mia were having this conversation. And then the door opens and somebody comes in. You know what we immediately did? We stopped talking. Because you're not allowed, apparently, to talk on an elevator. And so you get in the elevator and the only acceptable conversation on an elevator is like, what floor? You know, so they come in. You go into two or you go into four. Okay. I mean, I mean, you just will not say a word. And the, and then I'm telling you, and check this out next time in my elevator. Imagine, because there's some people that break the rule and they talk. And, you, and, and here's what you do. You say the minimum amount of words that you have to. Like, hey, so where are you going? Second floor. Oh, yeah, where, where are you from? Um, Miami, Florida. Or you won't even say Florida. It's like, where are you, Miami, Ohio? You know, Miami. Oh, okay. That's, oh, yeah, that's not too far from me. No, 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 it's not. And, I'm, and it's just like this weird thing that we have, right? Because, and, and that's why 
It used to be and because you can't have total silence. And that's why they invented something called Muzak. Like what in the world is Muzak? It's not even like real music that you like. It's your favorite song played in a weird way. I mean, it's like, you know, you love this song and then they just have it like, oh, some guy's performing it on the trombone. And that's what they've got it playing on on this on this music. Why? Because the idea of silence is just so weird. I used to I've taught Revelation a couple of times at the college level. Uh, and the first time I taught Revelation, uh, I I was getting I got to this section. So I did my opening remarks, whatever. And then I just stopped mid sentence. And I just didn't talk for one minute. One minute. I thought those students' head was going to explode. Because they're, you know, they're like, I mean, they're thinking like, what's wrong? Is he having a seizure? Is he okay? Does he forget? You know what I mean? Does he, like, are we watching amnesia happen out before our eyes? They start freaking out, you know? They didn't know what to do because the, the thought of total silence is just so foreign to us. But in a Jewish culture, silence was something that was very, very important in a person's relationship with God. Because you're not going to hear from God, know God, listen to God speaking unless there's some silence. And, and the, the thing is, is that in heaven, if you've been with us for a little while, uh, you know that we talked in Revelation 4 and 5, that, Revela- uh, that, that heaven is this amazing place, like this constant worship concert that's going on. God is speaking, stuff is happening, angels are flying People are worshiping. All this great stuff is happening. And then as the seventh seal is open, boom! Total silence for 30 minutes. Total silence. And the question is why? The question is because they know that once that seventh seal is open, what that represents. It means that the work of God is going to come to this culmination ultimately leading to the return of Jesus Christ, the establishment of His kingdom on on planet earth, and then the dissolving of the heavens and the earth, the creation of a new heavens and a new earth. All of this now is beginning once that seventh seal is open. And it is a big, big deal that's taking place. And so they see the seven trumpets getting ready and they say, oh boy, this is going to be serious. Why? Because in a Jewish culture, they understood the meaning of a trumpet. What, what, it, what, what it would mean, the significance that it had. Because throughout the Old Testament, there was all kinds of things happened when you saw a trumpet. For us, we see a trumpet, we don't think it's that big of a deal. When they saw a trumpet, they recognized that the reason the walls of Jericho fell was that they marched around the city of Jericho, but they blew the trumpet and then the walls came down. In the book of Numbers, chapter 10, they were told to construct two trumpets. Why? So that when they blew the trumpet, it would be this reminder that God would bring them victory. In the book of Exodus, chapter 19, they blow the trumpet to get the people there to the base of Mount Sinai so that God can deliver the Ten Commandments to the people. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, there's this command that you've got to blow the trumpet, signifying that it's the year of Jubilee. And when it's the Jubilee year, all the debts were canceled and were brought back to zero. I bet that was everybody's favorite trumpet sound. Credit card balance back to zero. Ah, and the people clapped. You know, I mean, it was this amazing thing, right? And so whenever the trumpet sounded, it means that God was going to work in a huge way. So when you see seven angels lined up with seven trumpets, seven throughout the Bible being this number of completion, you know that the work of God is going to be completed through this action. And so what does this say to us if you're experiencing a trial or tribulation in your life? 
is that if you're going through something difficult, here's what it speaks to us. Is that there really is a moment for us to be silent. There, there has to be this time where we say, I've got to quiet myself to be able to hear God speaking. In the book of Zephaniah, chapter 1, this little prophet hidden in the back of the Old Testament. Um, he doesn't get a lot of airplay, but he's a really important little book. But here, here's what he says. He says, be silent before the sovereign Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. Speaking of this very time, that there would be a time of silence. You see, if I, if, if, if I can't get quiet, if you can't get quiet, if we can't get quiet, what's going to happen is we're not going to be able to hear God speaking to us. What happens so many times is when we pray, we, we talk to God and we just tell God our laundry list of what we need Him to do for us. And then we say, Amen, I'm out of here. When instead we're missing something. I, I think that we, you know, the Bible says to make your request known unto God. That's great. But I believe that if we could slow down enough to just say, and now God, I'm, I've, I've talked a lot, but now I'm just going to listen. That maybe in the time of listening is where we would experience God speaking to us. We would, we would be reminded of a passage of Scripture that applies to the situation we're dealing with. A person's face, a person's name would come into our mind to say, I need to call that person and encourage them. That God would give us our marching orders for the day. And now, as I take time to quiet myself, I would experience what it is that God wants me to do. In Nehemiah chapter 4, this is what Nehemiah says. He says, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, Rally to us there, for our God will fight for us. You see, when we hear the trumpet, when we listen for the trumpet, when we listen and say, God, I'm listening, I'm quieting myself because I want to see you work, is when we experience God working on our behalf. But what happens when these angels line up? The trumpets are ready. Here's what takes place. It gets ugly right now. Here's what we see. Verse 7. The first angel sounded and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood. And they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. The fourth angel sounded. And a third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon. A third of the stars. So a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine. And likewise the night. Verse 13. And I looked. And I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. Saying with a loud voice. Woe, woe, woe. To the inhabitants of the earth. Because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, if the first thing is when we're going through a difficulty is that I, I need to I need to be silent before God. The second thing is is that I need to look beyond circumstances. Look beyond circumstances. I mean, think about this: How can the sound of a trumpet be that painful to what's taking place on planet Earth? Listen. Sounds can be painful. In fact, um, I, I read this in the first service. People didn't believe me. I pulled this off of BBC, British Broadcasting. And this is what this is your tax dollars hard at work. Um, this is uh, well, listen, look at listen to the headline. 
Heavy metal music and popular children's songs are being used by U.S. interrogators to break the will of their captives in Iraq. Now check, once again, I don't make this up. This is the news. Check this out. Uncooperative prisoners are being exposed for long periods of time to tracks by rock group Metallica and music from the children's TV program Sesame Street and Barney in hopes of making them talk. The U.S. Psychological Operations Company said the aim was to break prisoners' resistance through sleep deprivation and play music that was culturally offensive to them. Sergeant Mark Hansel of PSYOPs uh, told uh, Newsweek magazine, these people haven't even heard of heavy metal. Here's what it says. And he goes on. They can't take it. If you play it for 24 hours, your brain and body functions will start to slide. Your, your train of thought slows down and your will is broken. That's when we come in and talk to them. Now, Sergeant Handel's favorites are the song Bodies. If you remember, let the bodies hit the floor. And Metallica's Enter Sandman. Also, the theme song from Sesame Street and songs from the purple singing dinosaur Barney are also on his hit list. And this is what he says. Now, before I say this next statement, this is his quote. Understand, these guys go through basic training. They've got to run for miles, 8,000 push-ups a day or whatever it is they do. They're like rigorous training. Here's what he says. In training, they force me to listen to the Barney I Love You song for 45 minutes. I never want to go through that again. Now, you, I, I wish I could say I made that up, and I did it. I mean, once again, you can check that out. It's uh, on, on, on BBC. But the thing is that, that's so amazing is that the, these sounds start inflicting all kinds of pain. The trumpets start getting blown. Trumpet number one goes off, and one-third of the vegetation of the earth is burned up. Why is that significant? Because vegetation is the first thing that God created on the earth after he had created the earth. And now it's the first thing that he takes away. And if a third of the vegetation is wiped out, what does that do to food costs? It starts driving them way up. Remember we talked about in chapter 6, if you were with us, that, they, that it, it, it talks about in, in, in this time of the end that people are going to be spending a day's wage just for a loaf of bread. And so now this begins to happen. The trumpet too goes off and a third of sea life is destroyed. So now the, 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 the seafood that people have been eating, that gets wiped out as the sea becomes blood. But also the thing we need to understand is that uh, anywhere from 80 to 90 percent of the oxygen that we breathe comes to us from plankton. And so not, not so much from trees. And so the thing that's so important is, is that now one of our, our major source of oxygen, a third of that is cut off. So food prices are going up. It's becoming a little bit harder to breathe. And then a third of the ships get destroyed. Right now, on the seas, there's 25,000 ships. Immediately, about 8,000 of them get wiped out. Instantly. Trumpet number three goes off, and a third of the rivers and drinking water become completely bitter. And it says why it becomes wormwood. What, why wormwood? What, why, what does that word mean? It's actually a phrase that's used eight times in the Old Testament, speaking of poison, disease, and death that are always linked to idolatry, turning from God and turning to the worship of something else. And then trumpet number four goes off. The heavens are struck and darkness starts covering the earth. Now, here's the thing. What's the point of all of this? And before I tell you that, I've got to say something else. So we kind of link it to something. 
Whether you've read the book of Exodus or you've seen the movie, you know that there's, there was plagues in Egypt as God was uh, getting the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt to the land that he was promising them. And what's interesting to me is that many of the judgments here in Revelation mirror what happened in the book of Exodus. Whether it's darkness, whether it's, um, you know, the death of livestock, locusts, you know, water turning to blood, all of that. But what was the point of all of these plagues? The point of all of these plagues, God tells us what that was, and it's in your notes in Exodus chapter 7. He says, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against them and bring out the people of Israel from among them. What was the point? The point of the plagues was to show the Egyptians who God really is. Why? So that they would turn from their ways, repent and change and begin to worship the true and living God. That's the very same point as to what's happening here in these judgments, these trumpets that are sounding. God is seeking to do the very same thing. And so why is the point then that I need to look beyond circumstances? Well, here's the reason. is because when we're going through a time of difficulty, a time of trial or tribulation, what immaturity does, immaturity looks at the situation and says, I can't believe God allows this to happen to me. But here's what maturity does. Maturity says... God has allowed this to happen to me. Why? What is it that God wants to speak to me? What is it that God wants me to know? What is the principle underneath, the principle beyond the circumstance that God is seeking to work in my life? What is God, how is God seeking to reveal Himself to me through this? In 1 Peter, the Bible tells us this. He says, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and refines gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So check this out. Money's tight, right? Why? You're going through a tight time financially. The question to ask is why? What's God trying to show you? What's God trying to show me? Is it saying, well, you know, maybe I need to be a better steward. Maybe I need to honor God with my finances. Maybe I need to be thankful for what I do have. Maybe you're in a relationship and it just ended. A relationship's on the rocks. A relationship is strained. And you say, what is God trying to show me? Does God want me to be grateful for the relationships that I do have? Does God want me to extend forgiveness? Does God, what what is it that God's trying to show me? And listen, the key is to look past the circumstance and find the principle that God's trying to work in my life. And when I do, I get to the place of moving from immaturity in faith to the place of maturity in faith, where now these circumstances begin to build up my faith rather than tear my faith down. But listen, it just keeps getting worse because these people in Revelation haven't changed look at what happens in chapter 9 verse 1 it says the fifth angel sounded and i saw a star fallen from heaven satan to the earth and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit and he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace and so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit 
Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth and they were given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were commanded not to harm any of the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill men, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like a scorpion when it strikes a man. And those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns, something like gold, and their faces like the face of men. And they had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions and There were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. They had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek he has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Now, if you pause there uh, and and give me your attention, here's the thing that we have to know that's so important. You're going through a difficulty. You're going through tribulation or trial. We have to be silent before God. We have to look beyond circumstances. But then here's the third thing that we need to do is that we need to challenge. I need to challenge my preconceptions. Sometimes the trial shows up to challenge my preconceptions. Now, let me just say for the record, as I read about these locusts, I'm not a fan of insects at all, even a little bit. Um, And and I mean, uh, in fact, the first time I had like I've never had a run in with a scorpion um, but when I was in Phoenix for the first time, my band was on tour, and one of the things that we did was we were staying at a friend's house after the couple shows that we played there, and then uh, he told us that they had, there's like lots of scorpions in the Arizona area. They like really hot, dry areas. And so he was telling us how all of them, this other band that we played, all of them had been bit by scorpions before, and you had to go to the emergency room, and they were kind of talking about it like joking. And as they were joking, fear was filling my heart as I thought, I just, this is just the way it is for me. I get stung by stuff. That stuff kind of happens to me um, or, you know, like crazy things. And so I, I thought, man, I don't want that to happen to me. And then they gave me the sli- I was sleeping in a sleeping bag. And they said, and I'm like, well, how do they get into your house? And they're like, well, they just kind of do. And then they sting you. You don't even realize. And you got to go to the emergency room. And if you don't get to the emergency room soon enough, you're dead. And I thought, man, I'm in this sleeping bag. One is going to get into the sleeping bag, sting me. Next thing you know, I'm going to wake up and there's going to be a dead guitarist in, you know, in, in this room. And so I start zipping up the, the sleeping bag even more. And then I just left myself like a little like hole to breathe out of. And I thought, that's big enough for, for a scorpion. I zip it all the way up and I sleep in this little cocoon. I'm like a human hot pocket, you know, uh, with this thing because I didn't want to get stung, right? Now, think about this, because scorpion stings hurt. Imagine being stung by something, this locust scorpion thing, so much that you want to die. And the Bible tells us that people are actually going to want to die. They're going to seek death and not find it. What does that mean? It means that there's going to be people that actually jump off of a building trying to end it because they're in so much pain. They're going to hit the sidewalk. You know what they're going to find? That they're mutilated but not dead. 
People putting a gun to their head, pulling the trigger and finding that they have a hole in their head, but they're not gone. Seeking to die, but listen, because death takes a five-month vacation over this period of time. And now, I've read so many commentaries on Revelation. This is what some scholars say, that, this, that they kind of explain this and say, well, this is really like a first-century description of like a helicopter. You know, it's got this armor and then the hair, and it's kind of spinning around. Let me tell you something. I've never seen a helicopter that looks like that. I'm pretty sure. You know, this is, call it what you want. I mean, but it, this is just like a supernatural locust scorpion. I'm probably more comfortable with like demon-possessed locust than I am with like, oh, that's just a, uh, you know, a helicopter. But here's the thing. Why? Because it's so specific. It targets people that don't have the seal of God on their forehead. If you are with us a couple weeks ago, Pastor John talked about how there's going to be these 144,000 commissioned Jewish evangelists going out, sharing the gospel, letting people know that God still loves them, even though his judgment is coming on planet Earth. But yet, here's what takes place. They still refuse to change. And this is where I say that, it, that sometimes a trial, a difficulty, causes us to, it challenges our preconceptions. That we think that God's supposed to, or God can, or God must, or God shouldn't. And then something happens and we say, you know, you've got a group of people here that say, I don't believe in God, I don't believe in the supernatural, and now like some demon-possessed, locust, scorpion thing is inflicting pain on them. And they say, well, maybe now I want to believe. And the amazing part is, they won't. They don't. Why? Well, I want to read you the rest, the, the last seven verses of chapter 9. Because it gives us the reason why. Look at verse 13. It says, Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying, Release the sixth angel who had the trumpet. And he says to them, Release the four angels who are bound at the river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million and I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision that those who had breastplates of fiery red, blue, sulfur, yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouth came smoke, fire, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, for their power was in their tails and in their mouth. For their tails were like serpents, and with them they do harm. And here's the key. But the rest of mankind who were killed by these plagues, they did not repent of the work of their hands, that they should not worship demons, nor idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, or wood, which can neither see nor hear nor talk. But they did not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual immorality, or... Their thefts. And if you pause there and give me your attention, here's, here's the thing that's so important. 200 million person army. This fallen angel, Satan, opens up the bottomless pit. In the Greek, it's the word abuso. He opens up this bottomless pit and these 200 million demon army comes out. Now you say, man, this is absolutely crazy what's happening. And you would be absolutely right. I mean, this is nuts. What's going on here? And yet here's the thing that takes place is that 
200 million. Listen, in that time when John is writing Revelation, there weren't even 200 million people alive on the planet at that time. And so this is just this crazy number. And yet he says that there's going to be this organized army, which means there's going to be that many more people on the planet. Yes. And they kill a third of mankind. Now, I want you, I want you to track with me for a second. Six billion people on the planet. Let's just kind of go with that number. The rapture of the church happens. Let's just say one billion are taken out at that time. All right. One billion are taken out. Leaves us five billion. Then in Revelation six, it says that one quarter of mankind is killed. So you've got about one point two five billion people that are taken out. Now here, another third of mankind is taken out. You know, that, that leaves us right now. We've gone from six billion down to about two, two and a quarter billion people on the planet. And listen, here's the thing is that you and I would think that after seeing all of this crazy stuff, the locust things and then the, the 200 million demon people show up and they're killing everybody. And you'd say, now, I see this. I really need to turn to God now. And here's what the Bible says. We just read it. And they still wouldn't repent. They still wouldn't turn from the ways that they are to the ways of God. And the question is why. Listen, this is one of the most important things that you can learn. Here's the reason why. Because miracles do not produce faith. We would think that they do. Because we talk to people and they say, well, I don't believe, but if God would show up in my bedroom, then I'd believe. If God would do this or this for me, then I'd believe. You know what? If miracles produced faith, the children of Israel would have been an absolute powerhouse for God. Because the children of Israel saw the plagues in Egypt. They saw the death of the firstborn. And they came out of Egypt. They walked through on dry land as God parted the Red Sea. They ate manna. God sent them manna from heaven morning, noon, and night for 40 years. Then they got to the very edge of the promised land thinking, if God has done all of this for us, God can surely wipe out a few giants and give us the land. And you know what the Bible says? They didn't believe. Even after all of that, they still didn't believe. What's up with that? Oh, but, you know, people, when they saw Jesus' miracles, they believed. Maybe you haven't read the story. Yeah, they, they believed for a season. When they saw Jesus doing the miracles, they wanted to make Jesus their king. But you know what? When it all came down to it, the same people that were there when Jesus was feeding 5,000 were the same people that cried out, Give us Barabbas. What should we do, Pilate says, with this Jesus whom you call the Christ? Crucify Him. We have no king but Caesar. How in the world could that happen? Listen, it's because miracles do not produce faith. What produces faith? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Scriptures are what build faith. The truths of God, believing what God has said, that's what builds faith in your life and in mine. And that's what becomes the problem. It says that they wouldn't repent of their deeds. They wouldn't repent of the fact that they worshipped demons. Now, here's the thing. Most people don't just out and out worship demons, just as a general rule. But you know what they do? They worship idols. And, and, and 
Here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. What am I trying to say? Am I saying that food offered to idols has some significance or that idols are real gods? No, not at all. I'm saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons and not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. When a person worships an idol, a statue, when they give significance to a piece of ceramic, a piece of wood, that's the worship of demons. Say, oh man, I don't do that. I hope not. But that San Lazaro, that little charm of Santa Barbara that you have, that little statue that, that some like to put, you know, a cigar by, an apple by, a little shot of, of alcohol by, thinking that, that that piece of ceramic is going to now give them some, some kind of power or change their life in some way. Listen to me very carefully. That is the worship of demons. That is the worship of demons. And if we say, oh, but see, that's a family heirloom and someone gave that to me as a kid. Okay, listen, we can call it whatever we want, but here's what the Bible says. It's the worship of demons. And see, this is what the Bible says, that even though they saw all these things, they wouldn't stop worshiping demons. They wouldn't stop with their sorceries. Now, what is he talking about? Harry Potter? That's not what he's talking about. The word sorceries is the Greek word pharmakia. We got our word pharmacy. What is he talking about? He's talking about when I put a substance, an illegal substance in my body that changes my state of consciousness. He's talking about people that, that put drugs in their bodies to say, oh, I'm just going to escape. They wouldn't repent of that. They wouldn't repent of their sexual immorality. The Greek word there is pornea, but we get our word pornography. It's people who are involved in any kind of sexually deviant activity that's instead of sex being inside of what God sanctifies, which is marriage. And so all of this, all hell is literally breaking loose on planet Earth. And we have people now who should even seeing everything that they've seen say, I am going to turn from my ways and turn to God. And they won't. Why? Because they have these pet little sins that they don't want to turn from. You would say that it doesn't make any sense. Here's what Jesus would say. Jesus would say this. You would say, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now, my friends, here's where the rubber meets the road. We may not be living in that time, but is there something that I'm holding on to, that we're holding on to, that's keeping us from the life that God has for us? Something where I need to, I need to look on and say, you know what? I've got these pet sins, and what I need to do is let them go so I can really embrace the life that God has for me. Why not let those things go and turn to God who has promised to give us not just life, but abundant life? Because, my friends, these things that we've talked to, they want to grab hold of us, and they don't want to let go. You and I could be in the midst of a trial, difficulty, tribulation, and we're asking the question, why, God, why? Why? When if we could just look beyond it, we could see that past this, if I can just learn from it, be strengthened by it, that if I could turn to God as a result of it, that I could see that everything could be different. 
I'll close with this. Um, I have a really good friend of mine that was diagnosed. Uh, he tested HIV positive um, like 1992 or 1993, right around there. He was living like this pretty wild lifestyle, you know, all that. And when he contracted HIV, I mean, it stopped him in his tracks. I mean, it really caused him to rethink his whole life, what he was doing. And um, within a couple months of contracting HIV, someone invited him to church. He went to church. He gave his life to Jesus, and he started growing in his faith. Today he's a pastor. And um, he and I, him and I have been friends for years, and uh, he and I were having lunch uh, years ago. And he said these words to me, and I, I've never forgotten them. I don't even know if I've been able to really, like, absorb them completely. But he said to me, we were having lunch, and he said, you know, Bob, contracting HIV is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I said, what did you just say? He said, yeah, contracting HIV is the best thing that's ever happened to me. He says, Bob, you have no idea. I was really messed up. I mean, I was really messed up. And when I contracted HIV, it stopped me enough to where God now got, came onto my radar. Because God was nowhere. He was so far, you know, I mean, he was really in my rearview mirror. And yet when, when these, this news came to me, it put God on my radar and Jesus changed my life through this circumstance that came into my life. You see, maturity in Christ is when I look at a situation and say, not, why God did you do this to me? That's immaturity, just looking at the situation. But when I look beyond it and I say, what does God want to bring because of it? Now, we get to the place of what God really wants to do in our lives. Yeah, things get ugly, of course. It's life. But man, what does God want to do as he brings me through it? I get to the other side of it and say, now I know why it happened. I know what God was doing. And listen, if you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, can I just tell you this? That maybe the difficulty that you're in that actually got you here in the first place that that's the whole reason why God allowed it. It's because God wasn't even on your radar. And things started getting real tough and you said, you know what, maybe I need God in my life. Well, listen, you open your heart, invite Jesus in, ask Him to forgive you of everything you've done, and you know what happens? Now you get to a place and you, you look back and you say, man, I don't even know where I'd be if it wasn't for that difficulty which put God on my radar, which got me to church, which now I heard the gospel that Jesus wanted to save me, and now everything changes. Because, my friends, the stuff isn't just happening at random. It's happening because God has an actual purpose for our life and it involves us becoming more like Him. It begins by us entering into a relationship with Him. And when you call out and just say, God, save me, forgive me, I want to know you. A prayer like that, prayed in sincerity, God will answer, hear, and act upon if we're serious. Let's pray together. And God, I want to thank you so much. I want to thank you so much for each and every person that's here. God, so many of us go in through difficult times. And God, my prayer is that you would make yourself known to us in our difficulty. God, I pray that you would speak I pray that you would act. 
pray that you would work in the lives of each and every person here, that they might experience your love and peace, even in the midst of a difficult time. In Jesus' name, amen.